I found out there was a TV show that came to Laguna Beach. And when I got home, Cedric, myself, because we did not know what this was, we were making, we actually were making fun of the show. And our parents convinced us, at least uh, I think no, your parents same thing. convinced us <laughs> to do this show because we're like, yeah, yeah, dorks, we're not no, doing that. No, you making fun of people? No. It, it, but we were, we didn't, but it was like our parents were like, man, it'd be really cool to have your guys' senior year documented because we thought it'd be just a documentary. We right. thought it'd be a cool thing to have and be able to show our kids down the road. We had no idea it was going to be a phenomenon and revolutionize the way TV was done. Well, Freaking legend. CGTV, a show about our story and the people we share it with. Welcome to the CGTV podcast. Cedric Channels, Blake Nelly. CGTV podcast. CGTV Channels Group Television. Oh, nice, man. You're in production now. He's Thank in you. production. We're here with our very special guest, Jason Waller. Um, I know him from Cedric. I know him from TV. Some Ooh. of you know him from both of those places. Some of you don't know him at all. Yeah. I but like you're going to get to know him. Fair so, enough. Well, thank like, you for having me, guys. Thanks, I appreciate man. it. Thanks, man. Like I was saying, um, I really can't wait to talk about like the guy you've become and what you're doing and what we did a couple of weeks ago with that guy down the street. Yeah. But uh, like, let's, let's, let's talk about how we met, right? You, uh, you, you were born in Laguna Hills? I've never asked you that. Uh, I was born in, uh, actually right up the street at, at Hogue Hospital, Newport Beach. Uh, and then I lived in Laguna Niguel until I was, geez, until third grade. And then I moved to Emerald Bay in Laguna Beach. Uh, God, what was that, 1997? No, 95? I can't even, I don't even remember. So it was a long time played, ago. You were... Like, I think you came because our first connection was baseball, right? So nine and 10 years old. It was, I know for sure. It was fourth grade, fourth grade for sure. However old we were there. And then fifth grade is where we were. We, after baseball, we connected. Then we also went to El Moro. Yeah. 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 Cause the first, I remember when you first came, you had an, a green Adidas shirt on. We, someone wrote this in a book. Cause when they interviewed, <clears throat> I was talking about this. He had, we didn't have hair gel like then, like our school. And he you, showed he up. He didn't. I did. <laughs> he shows up <laughs> with hair gel, a green Adidas t-shirt with the white logo. And this was like before the revive of yeah. Adidas. This yeah. wasn't like, oh, Adidas yeah. is was cool. This is like, I knew what was coming yeah, back. Yeah, yeah. And a puka shell necklace. Oh, the pukas. <laughs> See, those are even coming back too, man. I'm yeah. sorry. And this, this ain't uh, Turlock. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and uh, I looked at this guy. I was like, no fucking way. And then we actually connected through baseball and our dads, our dads became really good friends and we connected because we were both so competitive and like, I mean, you went golfing with us the other day. It's pretty, oh, it's brutal. <laughs> it's so hard to be around you guys. <laughs> oh, I know when you can't hit the ball, man, I understand. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, but he's, he's not kidding. <laughs> uh, and then we just, hey, is it okay to make fun of each other? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. No, no, no. Okay. No, yeah, no, so you guys are being pretty serious. Our no, whole no. brand is making fun of us. Okay. So, <laughs> uh, and then and then we became good friends. We became best friends, and then we created our own clique. And then everything was going great. And then we got hit with a TV show, right? Well, yeah, I think it's imp uh, it, through that. I, I there's so many things that happened in between that is because on the outside, you know, things seemed very good. We were part of the popular group, always dating good looking girls. Uh, you know, we're very athletic, not to sound boastful. That's the truth on the outside. Yeah, yeah. The problem was, is I can look back now. I did not know this in the moment, but I can actually identify. 
I did not feel with what I, what I just explained on the outside, I did not feel that internally. So even though all those traits were there, I was not exhibiting them personally with inside. So, I mean, I would be the person that all this stuff was going on great on the outside. And then I'd go home and internally feel completely the opposite self-shaming, you know, you're not good enough. You're ugly. And I don't know where that came from. I don't know where it stemmed from because I came from a unbelievable family. Parents are still married in Orange County 48 years now. I mean, I grew up with good morals, good values. So I don't really know where this stemmed from. You know what I mean? And I've still tried figuring it. I don't know till this day. I've done a lot of deep diving and deep searching. And I think that I'm, I'm pre-genetically disposed to alcoholism and I don't want to get too deep into that right now, but it's, you know, I think the, the manifestivity and the way my brain operates and the way I think and the, the negativity and the, the self-talk with that uh, played a part into it. Now that it's crazy though, looking back, I can see that, you know, it took me 15 years to figure out and really identify like, whoa, like you really have to get open and honest with yourself before you can make a shift or a change. And that's when I was able to see because it was right around 13 or 14 years old I was exhibiting that and I also experienced heavy OCD when I was 11 or 12 years old, which is a very traumatic experience because OCD for me, I actually washed my hands until they bled. Mm. Um, and I don't know uh, that that turned into a whole nother thing where, I mean, obsessive, it was, it was, it, my life became unmanageable due to OCD. I mean, it, it parlayed into different, some people, they have an OCD when they walk on cracks or how they open or close a door. Mine was with germs. And so that played into a whole thing. So having that and trying to hide that on top of all those other emotions and stuff that I felt going into these things, there was just so much as a 13 or 14 year old, there wasn't an outlet. You know what I mean? Like my parents tried doing everything they could, went to therapists. I don't know how to talk about that stuff. We weren't, we weren't educated enough as a society on how to address those things. I'm not going to destroy, display or distribute how I feel. Uh, because it was like at that time, especially it was like, you're, you know, you're kind of weird or you're off. And I didn't want to even address that stuff. So that real quick parlayed into me struggling with my self identity. And, you know, I, you have to remember at 17 years old, I was at boarding school. I went away to, I was, I was struggling back and forth. Um, and this is before even alcohol really kicked in. I mean, I was experimenting. Like, I don't even remember my first drunk. You know what I mean? Like I really don't. I remember the first time I pretended to drink and we could talk about that later if you want, but it was funny what happened because I was terrified of it. And as, as we all know, as it, it came and consumed my life and took me over. Uh, but at 17, I went to boarding school because of behavioral stuff and trying to figure out my life and, and things like that. And lo and behold, when I was out there, then yes, I found out there was a TV show that came to Laguna beach and when I got home, Cedric, myself, because we did not know what this was, we were making, we actually were making fun of the show. And our parents convinced us, at least I uh, think no, your parents convinced us to do this show because we're like, yeah, yeah, dorks, we're not no, doing that. No, are you making fun of people? No. It, it, but we were, we didn't, but it was like our parents were like, man, it'd be really cool to have your guys' senior year documented because we thought it'd be just a documentary. We right. thought it'd be a cool thing to have and be able to show our kids down the road. We had no idea it was going to be a phenomenon and revolutionize the way TV was done. Well, nothing had ever been done like it. We you didn't had, know. We didn't know anything. To to, yeah. And the and funny the first part year, is, yeah. Everyone was in. My mom was in. Rick and Denise were in. They were in it more than us. My dad was not. I remember oh, really? Big Sad going, "Why would you do this?" He was like, "Why? What are you going to get from this? You're, I'm going to. You're going to go to law school. You're going to be a lawyer. Like, there, you can only go down. Like, why would we do this?" And my mom was so into it, and uh, she literally forced us. Like, she forced me, and then they wouldn't. <clears throat> I can remember, and I want to dive back into some of the stuff you just said, because it's not until the last year of my life I realized that was going on in high school with you. And like, I'm the worst friend ever. 
to have that going on in like, and we were best friends. Like we were like brothers in high school and elementary school. Like it was, we'd spend the night two or three nights a week on a school, school week. His dad legitimately <clears throat> wanted to adopt me. Yeah. yeah. His dad, like, my we're not dad, jo- not, not joking. Like, my dad like, liked him more than me. <laughs> True. He's like, Oh fuck. I'm stuck with Cedric. Like I can adopt Jason. <clears throat> and, uh, I remember literally going like, yeah. And then one of us didn't want to do it for a little while. And then they wanted both of us to do it because we were together all the time. We literally ran from production. <laughs> like they, we would be shooting a scene. We'd be like, see you guys. Like we'd run off. They would be like, you guys can't do that. We'd be like, see ya. Like it, we were not easy to work with. No, it was awful. We wouldn't show up. They would, they like threatened contracts and stuff. We're like, for what are you going to sue us for? We're little kids. <laughs> <doing> <laughs> assets, you know what I mean? And then, uh, there was a point where like, and I've always had this thing. I've always like rebelled against authority in a different way than you. You've been literally, you literally rebel like in front of people and I do it in like a different way. But, uh, it just kind of like, I could, I remember watching you go. I remember watching like, Oh shit. Like, I don't think I can bring this guy back. You know what I mean by that? Like, and that was really, really hard for me. And, uh, and then it like, it turned into this crazy experience and then I could feel you going and then we went to New York or something like that or Miami or whatever the hell they had us do. And then we went, we did like this trip in Phoenix. Was it Phoenix? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And that was one of the lowest points of my life. It was like, you know, like you have a brother and I have a brother and I love my brother, but I'm closer to Jason in my life than my brother and just the way it worked. Like, uh, and, uh. We, like you were, I think you were on all kinds of stuff. Who cares what it was? But there was a moment in the car where I can remember that I'll remember this for the rest of my life and I've totally gotten over it and we've made amends and I love you. But I remember you turning around and I could see your eyes and he he was like, I'm going to kill you. And it was like, oh no, it wasn't like, oh, I'm kidding. It's like, oh, I, I, I could see it, you know? And then, um, I think we pulled over and we got in a fight and then I flew home and we didn't talk for how long? Many years. I actually, it's so crazy. <clears throat> you bring that up because I found a letter that I wrote and I am not a writer, No, but I found, I still have it, uh, <clears throat> that I wrote to his, his mom because it, that separated everything. That was, uh, we probably didn't talk until, till my dad got sick. Until your dad. Yeah. yeah. We, didn't, we didn't see each other until his dad was dying of cancer. And my dad calls me and he goes, Hey, Jason's coming over with his dad. I go, cool, man. And he goes, no, like I'm going to die. Like I want you to talk to him. Mm. And I was like, what do you say to that? You know? And then I could see the different guy. I mean, you, you obviously have struggled with that issue longer than that, but I could just see the guy. And it's like, that was a big moment for me in my life. Not just with you, just in life. Cause I've always been that, you know, like, get the fuck out of my way. I don't care. Like whatever it is guy. And that was a moment in my life where I'm like, no, 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 dude, like people change, people can get forgiven. But going back to high school, man, like I look back now and I'm like, shit, like we were partying. We could, I mean, we had the best life. I mean, it was on fucking TV. Like, you know what I mean? And it's like, I was watching you go and I, I I feel like I could have done more, but like I was so wrapped up in my own shit. You know what I mean? And it was true. Like we would go and like, not to be cocky, but it was like, played three or four sports. We were the best athletes on the team. Like we could do whatever we want. I think we ditched school like two or three days a week. Like it was, it was <laughs> a joke. Away, we got away with murder, <clears throat> but I think it's, and again, it comes back. It's such a, uh, important thing to address. And that's where, you know, 
why I've made this my life's mission to be able to do that is because with all the resources and access in the world, I could not get out of it. And I think it's, again, as we have to look at what we're facing here and this, just here's some statistics for you is that in our lifetime, one out of every two people are going to suffer with a form of mental health issue, like a mental illness, uh, you know, and, and how we address it and how we bring attention to it is, is so important. And, and, letting people know that this is substance abuse leading cause of death in America. If, I mean, if this was anything else, this is the only disease we've, we've brought in, put an HIV into remission. We've, we've, we've cured forms of hepatitis, hepatitis C. We've been able to put into remission and stuff. This is addiction specifically is the only disease that's gone on a steady incline with the amount of people suffering with it and on a decline in the success rate. So, I mean, it's like, you look at that, it's absolutely asinine that there's not more being done to it. And it's, again, it's how you address it. It starts with prevention and education. Like we were privy to the dare program and those things didn't work. You know I mean? When things don't work, you try other modalities and people get so fixated in these other ways, but it's also to understand that we're up against a big, we're up against the mafia when it comes to, we're against pharmaceuticals, we're against hospitals, we're against the government and we're uh, against media, uh, media, everything. So it's like, there's got to be a, a change in this. And especially after where my life has really shifted too, is like having a kid. It's like having to, the resources and, and like, cause like people always ask me like, what are you going to do if Delilah ever struggles with that? And that's like the most heart wrenching thing. You know what I mean? And it's even with all the stuff I have, like, I don't know all the answers. Like I, I, I'm, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a clinician. I can, I definitely had nine lives and God has given me the opportunity to walk through these things and be able to share my personal experience, strength and hope through this. Mm-hmm. But it's like I'm doing everything I can to make sure that we better the, better our, our life in this. Because, I mean, going back to being pre-genetically disposed to addiction, 18 of my 24 family members suffer with some form of mental health, some form of addiction. And it's like it's <coughs> it's become my life's mission to to be on the, on the forefront of that yeah. and to make a difference. So we our whole motto in 2020 for uh, CGRE, which is CGTV. Um, <laughs> Is vulnerability right it's like provide a value be vulnerable do new things i think i honestly think this whole issue it's like it starts with a family first i think especially like in laguna beach you nobody wants to say hey i got a problem right no one wants to say like hey like i'm gonna go see a shrink why are you gonna see a shrink you live in emerald bay you live in three arch bit I'm like what do you got sh- your life's perfect you know what I mean? It's like nobody's willing to put themselves out there to say like, I am struggling. You see athletes are starting to do it. It's a new thing in the last couple of years. But like all these people, people, they're afraid. It's like the growth and um, fixed mindset book I was telling everyone about a couple podcasts ago. You have to be okay with failure. You have to be okay with vulnerability. Yeah, by expressing vulnerability, it creates humility. I mean, that's that's kind of my whole tagline is you have to be open and willing to share those things to have any all great change proceeds through chaos, right? I mean, if you can't identify and get open and honest about what's really going on, you're never going to change. Hundred percent. Guy last week, uh, Alex. What do you say to me? He's uh, like, yeah. When oh. we first met, what do you say? I'll let Blake say. He said he was talking about uh, mellowing out as he's gotten a little bit older, and uh, he's like, yeah, no, I think a lot of people didn't used to like me because I was kind of crazy and like no, he, really cocky. He said that to me. Yeah, and, he said no, Cedric was people. saying that about himself, and he goes, yeah. yeah, he goes, I actually like you less now. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. On the podcast, That's good. it was really funny. So okay, well, so to- I have a question. Okay. What were your guys's? So we're mm-hmm. talking about like 
you know, it was a different time. Like back in the, you're talking about like the late nineties, early millennium, two thousands into like 2000, like when did you guys graduate high school? Like 2005. 2005. 2005. So it's early 2000s. Yeah. Early 2000s. Y2K, all that kind of stuff. 9-11 happened. Yeah. Yeah. 9-11. Like, it was a weird time. Man. What do you think? I mean, <clears throat> what were some of the contributing factors to like you got like, especially for you, Cedric, knowing or not knowing what was going on in high school and like not really knowing how to talk about it or even like, you know, being comfortable with being open about struggling. Like, where do you think that kind of came from? Was it like your parents? Um, was it just a general way people were like, I'm just not going to talk about it. I mean, like, what was that like? We asked you, bro. Uh, I mean, <laughs> it's hard for me because I think I think it's so much more. You came from outside. I came from inside. Right. Right. And like, I never knew any different. And I think to be honest with you, I always thought it was really cool. I don't think I was that cool. I think I just, I honestly think that my mom just protected me and gave me everything I wanted. So kids were like, oh, let's go to Mammoth and blah, blah, blah. She like set that up at an early age. I didn't realize until later in life. I thought I was just the man. Yeah. She forced that, you know? And, um, Waller and I were like, we we're doing everything together and I didn't even notice. And like, he's probably looking at it from a more real standpoint. You know what I mean? And it, dude, there's, it's, it was like mean girls. It okay. like gets to you, man. Like, and I look back now and we used to, we used to pick on people. It, like, and I'm not, I'm very not proud of it, but like, it was like, I don't want my kid to go to Laguna Beach high school. Yeah. It was rough, man. Yeah. My kid won't be going <clears throat> to there. I mean, based on just everything that's going on right now. Um, but I think looking at that, I mean, also the, I think of just looking and knowing, doing a lot of therapy and spending hundreds of hours on myself looking back. I think a lot of the stuff we used to do to other people was to deflect on how we really felt about ourselves. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because you guys are like the guys that bullied guys like me in a funny way. Cause like I was a chubby kid. I was overweight most of my life till I was like 18. Like I had a very different experience growing up, even in elementary school. Like I, but you like, know, what's really funny on that though is tell this day, like, you know, some of the friends I have yeah. and stuff like I've always like supported that side. Like we always yeah. like the people no, no. We, we used to make fun of and stuff. We're kind of like in our group. No, and yeah, stuff. they weren't. Like, we would never we, make we, fun we, of people we, that had actual problems. Like, yeah, like we, we actually no, we're not bad we, guys. We actually <laughs> we actually like would so support. maybe you weren't the ones that made fun of me, but you no. were. You didn't get made fun of as much. Waller would probably. fight bullies a yeah. lot. So but like we, like we would have a there was like a, another friend God bless his heart Max who's not with us anymore um, from a terrible car accident or you know a guy by the name of uh, Chip. But there's just people we grew up with that were like, it was us two. And then we'd always have like a third person with us and it would be yeah. kind of, can become like, they're the person that we'd pick on. Right. Yeah. That yeah. would happen a lot. And I think it was insecure. It's kind of like the three stooges, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like it would be, it was us two and then it would be. And that, that third stooge would rotate a yeah. lot. Yeah. And that guy, like, God bless him. They're all pretty messed up now. because <laughs> of that. <laughs> but, but, uh, but, it, but looking at it, it's interesting because you bring that up though, because it's also till today. Like I even associate and I, like I see myself, going towards the people that have less than or that are not good looking and that are very mm -hmm. over like and i like have like i bring them around with me because yep. it's like to make them i don't know it's something that it's almost like a way i give back not intentionally it's like yeah. i naturally just i feel for them and right. it's something that I've, I've always had that in me though so yeah. he had that in high school a lot and i and that's what i wanted to talk to you about and that i think those were the signs that we never talked about were like he would go and he'd start hanging out with these guys and i would be like and this is me being whatever I don't know if it's a dick. I don't know if it's a jerk. I don't know if it's you just were wrapped a high up. schooler. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, why, what are you doing? 
I would say this to him all the time. I'm not going to name names, but there's like three or four people. He would always like, hey, we're, I'm, I'm, and I'd be like, what? Like, why are you hanging out with them? And then like, I, I was just so blown away and I kept seeing it over and over and over. And, and then when we got older, it started happening again. And then I'm always like, okay, you know, I, I like to surround myself with people that like push me further. Right. Mm-hmm. And that like, I, I'm almost like older guys, more successful guys. And I keep, kept seeing this with you and it happens all the time. And we just went to big bear and it happened. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Like, why does he surround himself with these people? And it started when we were like 15. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I don't do it anymore. But when I was younger, I would like, there's a couple times where like, I almost, guys wanted to beat me up because I would call like Jason's mom and be like, hey, why is, uh, why is Jason hanging out with this guy? You know? And then the guy's like, did you call Jason's mom? I'll meet you in the courtyard. And then the funny part is Jason would end up fighting them for me. I can't tell you how many times in high school, there's one guy wanted to beat me up senior year. It was total rumor. There was a total lie. We went to Cabo. Something happened. He thought something happened with his girlfriend. I, nothing happened. This guy wanted to beat me up for a while. Remember? Yeah. And we're at a party yeah. and the guy's like looking for me. And Jason's like, oh, I got this. Goes out, decks him. And this is supposed to be like the toughest guy in high school. Jason just goes out there. And I can't tell you how many times this guy. Like, now I know why, you know, we meet people. And I'm always like barking my mouth. It's because my whole life, Jason would just beat him up. <laughs> I'm not like that anymore, right? I, trust me, I had my ass kicked enough to. And, and, and fighting is, is not it's a. So it's, it's, it's stupid. So it's stupid. So dumb. Uh, I, trust me, like I said, I've gotten handed to me a bunch of times where I thought. I would be able to deal with it, and that wasn't the case. Yeah. Um, but to, to that point, though, is, is you know, there was so many, and I think that's the thing, too, is, like, I'm in a process now, like, what I'm doing is I, I just recently started seeing a therapist again, and after going to her, and, like, this is going to come off funny potentially or not, but, like, after the first couple of sessions, sessions, she's like, yeah, you definitely need a two-hour session. Like, you mm. know, like, because of all the stuff that, like, because all these things that we're talking about, they really pave, they create, a grain, you know, and, and kind of how your life has panned out. And it's like still to today at 30, almost 33 years old, discovering, you know, and unraveling some of these things because they really do impact like, cause all these things. And like, there's stuff that Cedric doesn't know, you know, like when I was in treatment, finding somebody hanging, like literally like a de- like, tr- like there's like, from that to being held at gunpoint, like by a bunch of big gangster guys, like there's just things that, like I, never want, you know, that I never really, like I've always just kind of pushed to the side and I would drink to alleviate that, those thoughts and stuff. And it's like my drinking, the things that I'm trying to escape from, that's the insanity of alcoholism and stuff is the situations I put myself in were due to the alcoholism or the the drinking, the drugs. And I thought by utilizing those to escape from them, it would help, but ultimately it took the feeling away for a moment, but it didn't put me in more shitty situations. So it's like, it's that revolving war, uh, revolving door of insanity but it's, it's, it's really unraveling those. And I got to a spot finally with maturity to be able to really address those things. And I think that's the, one of the biggest things is being open and honest with yourself. The biggest thing that sobriety and, and, and recovery has done for me is really got me to know myself and to understand that. And have I been perfect? No, I've had a lot of uh, uh, slips and, and other issues that have outside issues that have come into play, but it's like, there's something today, especially when you have a family and you're developing and, and you have a lot more responsibility where you're taking a really hard look at it because now it's not just me looking after myself. It's me, you know, I'm not, I'm looking after my child, my wife, my family and the responsibilities of that. But like the thing I would, 
would recommend just 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 kind of throwing it out there is for people to really look at that stuff and to get honest with themselves you know at the end of the day it doesn't matter what other people think about you especially if they're they don't know you uh, and that's something that drove me forever is i was so concerned about what people would think about me whereas today it's like if you don't like me i don't really give two shits as long yeah. as i'm being a good person i'm doing the right thing and i'm, I'm being who i am uh, you know, and, and, but if you're just going to judge me, you don't like me, I don't care anymore. You know what I mean? And that took me a long, long time to get to a place where that was it because we all, we're natural, we're natural beings. The number one form of happiness is human connection. We mm -hmm. want to be loved by people. Yep. It's the longest living study at Harvard. Uh, but it, it's something that, uh, it's important that we have human connection and stuff like that. And it's important to develop relationships with people you care, but it's also not to be influenced by outsiders. Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting. We talk about this all the time that it doesn't have to do necessarily with just addiction, but in general, like the more self-awareness you have as a person, the better you're going to be like, Correct. regardless of, of the, of the thing that you're battling, whether it's addiction or if it's just in, just in general in life, like we talk about it all the time. There's so many people, especially in real estate that we work with. We're like, wow, like you really, you're really not in touch with who you are. You're not in touch with the way you sound when you speak. You're not in touch with, like your motives behind the things that you do, like people are just, they don't know what they don't know. And it's ultimately their fault. And it's, that's the thing. It's like ownership is the most important thing. And they're Correct. not, you can tell they're not happy. That's the thing. Like you can tell if they don't, a lot of people don't know who they are. They're not happy because it's hard to be, how can you be happy if you don't You're just know chasing you your tail. You know? You're like, Oh, maybe I'm that guy. Maybe I'm that yeah. guy. Maybe I'm that girl. It's like, just you're you. Like, so yeah, I want to go back into First of all, this is interesting to me because out of every single, I know a lot of people, you know, a lot of people I would say, uh, and Kai's getting up cause I'm probably screwing something up with a microphone. I'm curious. I've never met in my life. I've never met a more likable human being than you. It's true. And don't let this go to your head. Okay. <laughs> he does like, not like giving compliments. You, he says it all you have a way with people. I've never seen anything like it. Um, the closest guy that I've ever met, um, like that is my old boss, David Heil, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but his is not, yours is so genuine. It's such like a, an organic happiness. You know what I mean? Uh, so you've all, people have always been drawn to you. I was drawn to you and I'm a tough catch. And uh, <laughs> like I've seen it my whole life and I'm thinking, okay, this show just blows it up, right? It makes it like exaggerated by a hundred times, right? It's already like you're already coming from one of the most beautiful places in the world, fantasy childhood. And then we have no idea what's going on. They put us on a TV show. Shit gets crazy. What happens after that? You went through your whole thing. I don't want to talk about like we've already gone into addiction and that. So you go into this, you go into another show, right? What was it? What, was it celebrity rehab or was the Hills next? I did Laguna beach. <clears throat> I did, uh, the Hills. I did that show with Kevin Hart, the celebrity rap show. No way, that's so cool. And then he I, loves Kevin Hart. I love Kevin Hart. You have to say it's Kevin yeah. Hart. You can be like, Kevin Hart, we uh, stole from banks. You're like, oh, cool. Yeah, good job, man. <laughs> and then uh, and then celebrity rehab. So, I mean, it, it, it's a summarization. I mean, I've spoken so much about my stories. I mean, I went to, to date, is 14 different treatment centers from Florida to Hawaii. Every state in between was arrested over a dozen times. Uh, and you can see the career, if you look at it like that, was like this. And this went straight down. But uh, ultimately, obviously, that's where celebrity rehab is where my journey really began in July 23rd, 2010. So what is, I, this is so weird. I've never seen this and you're my best friend. So 
what does celebrity rehab be like? You go on a show with a bunch of people who's had issues with addiction or gambling? Or, yeah, no, what? it's basic. I mean, it's 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 a it's a treatment facility that is basically. I mean, it's people that are struggling with substance abuse, mm-hmm. mental health, uh, drug addiction, sex addiction, uh, and you guys are all in there and you're being treated, but it's just being televised. So I mean, it's everybody going through their issues. But the thing that was different is I went in there sober. Uh, I was actually in a treatment facility in Florida, came back, and it was looking like, oh, this would be kind of like my aftercare continuation, right? But I really wanted to go on for two reasons. One, to because uh, a lot of people go on there for, you know, another 15 minutes of fame, if you will, or for the money or different things. I wanted to go and show the public. I wanted to change the public's perception of the way they perceive me because, like, I know, again, going back to good family, being raised right, morals, values. When I'm sober, I'm a pretty <clears throat> grounded person. When I'm not, I'm not. Uh, and so it worked to my benefit, you know what I mean? I got it. Basically, I was, I was watching a live show myself. I was watching people come off of benzos after 20 years of abusing, which is the gnarliest thing. I mean, coming off of heroin, coming off, I mean, just anything. So it's like, I was able to observe all this stuff, but more importantly is, is I really wanted to continue the education, but I wanted to connect with Dr. Drew. I was always fascinated with what he was, you know, people, he's one of the, either you love him or you hate him. And, you know, because of what he potentially supposedly put people through, but at the end of the day, he brought a lot of awareness to what people are really dealing with. And that's where I connected with him. And that's where, like I said, when I say my journey began is because from that point forward, I was able to actually obtain multiple years of sobriety after I left that because I had him, I had Mike Netherton, who was the president of Betty Ford for 20 plus years was Betty Ford's right hand uh, guy. I mean, spoke at her funeral. Uh, I had those two as mentors in going into this. So, I mean, I basically surrendered, was willing to take direction and accepted what was going on. Never had a real job in my life. You know what I mean? I was always drinking and paid to party, travel the world, thought I was living the dream. Little did I know it became the biggest nightmare. But I had these guys as mentors. And, you know, the one of the scariest things in my life was having a boss. What's accountability? What's showing up? And what's actually, you know, I didn't know what any of this meant. But I can tell you when I saw that, like, my dad was like, holy cow, like, this you're like super motivated. Like, when I got into this groove and... I went from being a client advocate, which was working and helping people get acclimated and acquainted in the treatment facilities. They'd come in. They're like, what the hell are you doing here? I mean, a lot of people, the shows were still out and people kind of knew they're like, you're here. And I'm like, yeah, I'm sober, you know? And from that though, I really saw a connection because I think one of my biggest gifts that God's given me is to be, to relate. Like Dr. Drew said it best to me. He goes, some people have old souls. He goes, you've lived one. You can connect with a 13 year old boy or an 85 year old businessman that's about to die. And like, he's like, because of the life experiences you've had, you've been able to connect. And that's where I saw that is, is immediately it took me within a matter of three years, I was at the working as a client advocate to basically helping run and operate all their marketing department, created a client services program, oversaw all the activities, oversaw all the alumni, like my life kind of transformed in just a three year period and I disappeared. I kind of like was so focused actually right up the street here in Costa Mesa. That's where, where it was all took place, Newport, Costa Mesa. And uh you know my life became and through that i started serving on on boards like i was like i mean in three years i was working with you know kurt and douglas michael douglas and Catherine zeta jones they're out there for the los angeles mission which is a 13 million annual nonprofit. they help over 1500 uh, or 500 homeless people a day provide over 1500 meals and i was part of all this stuff and today i'm like i, I serve on their board you know and i i sit and i worked with robert shapiro everybody knows him as oj's attorney and being, I started getting connected with all these people that were really doing good work and giving back. And like my life just started to kind of blossom and I was able to take all that wreckage in my past. It's like I say, my message, my mess has become my message and it gives people hope. Um, and you can't deny that. I mean, it's, it's, I went through such a public battle with addiction, uh, which was quite frankly, I wouldn't take any of it back. I'm so grateful for the way everything's happened. I mean, and trust me, some of those years, I mean, my disease not only took me to contemplation, but attempting suicide. I mean, I shouldn't, there's 
car accidents, the fights, the different, I mean, from literally trying to take your own life, I shouldn't be like somebody above is like, no, you got a greater purpose. Yeah. Um, you're not going yet. And it's like, as soon as I stop doing that work, uh, I feel like that my time will be done here. Um, but I think it, the good news is it's just getting started. So <clears throat> you literally went from like the bottom. It was like a, a complete 360, 180. Um, you just filmed the, the show, the Hills came back, right? You guys just finished filming right now. You're let's go into that. What you're doing right now. Like I, you called me up a couple of weeks ago to help someone down the street from my house. And we, I, I feel like you just saved someone's life. And like, you have been doing this this whole time. And I've always been like, what the hell did Jason do? Like, I don't really get it. He like talks to people, he's likable. So they follow him and then they go get fixed. Like, okay, cool, man. I'm really proud of you. That was the first time, man, where I was like, oh, I'm like in the floor seats of the Laker game to watch like this happen. And <clears throat> I'm happy. I'm really happy you brought that up, actually, because people don't really understand. Like, because I was, uh, uh, trust me, the treatment industry, I got to call it how it is, too. Is It's a very, it's it's the wild, wild west, you know. Um, there's a, a lot of people, forever's mm -hmm. watching this, that, you know. Treatment industry doesn't have a good name has and, a and, and it has a very bad yeah. reputation and as it should, I mean, people out there that were doing it, taking advantage of sick people to, to fill their pockets, they should shame on you. Uh, you know, but there are facilities out there that treatment does work and recovery is possible. 100% out of the 30 something thousand facilities that are out there, I'd refer to about five to 10% of them. There needs to be higher regulations, higher standards than that. But when you're dealing with this wild, wild west, what I'm getting at is I was two or three years. I've been talking to everyone. Like, God, I just don't want to do this. It's just too draining. It's too draining. You run into all these people that you know. You just sociopaths. I mean, they're they're sick. They're still active, and they're. I mean, there's like I said, you have two guys at a bar talking about, man, I want to do an investment. Let's go open a facility. It's like you have no idea what you're talking about, and they're opening them. Um, so it was like it's almost like it with we need as many good people doing the work that we can. But I always kept battling with that, and I finally have found a groove where I don't have to necessarily be a meshed. With that, you know, I've basically been able to create a brand myself and be able to, and look, I'm not saying I'm special and I have all the answers, but I'm learning every single day, but I'm just sharing and suggesting things that have worked for me so people can connect and relate because I'm a very open book about it. Again, as I didn't have an opportunity to hide everything. And I'm again, grateful for that because it's been able to, I have almost 200 people a week that reach out looking for help. Um, on all different levels and whether it's a person that's going through addiction themselves or a husband looking for somebody, something for his wife or a wife looking for their husband or their sister looking for their brother, whatever it is through personal family. I mean, this week, my family alone has reached out for four or five different people needing help and not, you know, through their friends. And it's just, it's, it's been a blessing. So it's like being on the other end, I'm so happy. And I know I went on a tangent with that, but I think it's important because I was explaining to you how draining and how much I was not liking this. Whereas like, the reality is like, I love doing this. Like I really do, but I just was not in the right spot mm. of doing the work that I was doing. I had to find in the same arena, a lane that made the most sense. And it was truly going back to self and being able to utilize instead of trying to fix or change everybody, which goes into codependency. Cause, and there's a whole nother thing with that. And I found out that I have codependency and enabling issues and all that stuff, which ties into with addiction. But it's like, I can't fix anybody. You know what I mean? All I can do is be the best I can be of myself. And, and it's, it's a, it's, it's, it's attraction, not promotion. Right. And it's by doing the next steps that I'm able to, to shed light on people and to let them know, like if I was able to come from over here and be over here, anybody could do it. It's like the Robert Downey. I mean, waking up in his neighbor's, you know, bedrooms, uh, you know, thinking he was in his own house to having the number one movie ever with Iron Man. I mean, like, look at the transition these people have been able to make in their life. And, 
you got to see firsthand because you're always like, what the hell is it that you do? And that's just a small, a small glimpse of it. And like, like going to see that guy that we, he's talking about that we were in his house. This guy's literally on his death. I mean, if we didn't, I ended up going down there, staying the night at his house, had to stay with him and make sure he got into a place the next day because he was a fall risk. He's already hit his head. He's done these different things where he literally, he could have been dead. It was one of those things, but to go see him just yesterday and a couple of weeks ago, I went and saw him again, but to see somebody that was literally dying to having light in their face and to have a whole new outlook on life. That's why you do this. Yep. There's no amount of money. There's no amount of drugs. There's no amount of alcohol. There's no amount of sex, whatever you want to call it, can call it can give you that, that feeling. Uh, cause there's nothing more gratifying than giving back and not looking for anything in return. And you got to experience that. And the best thing is like every Christmas, every year, I just got one from one of the kids that you were potentially talking about. I'll say it, Tyler, you, you can put the, I'm not going to say his last name. He's got five years of sobriety Nice. and to have his mom text me. I mean, these are the things that come up. I'm so grateful that you saved my son's life. Like today we were able to have another normal year, like this, you know, whether it be Christmas, Thanksgiving, like whereas we're a family together, like, I'm sorry, man. Like there's nothing more rewarding than that. Yeah. Like, like I, I, for anything to know that you impacted somebody's life. And again, they had to do the work. I'm not saying I have this magic wand and I'm able to do it, but to be a part of the process and to be able to put them in the point them in the right direction. Uh, that's the first step. Um, but, and we've done that. I've, I can, I've worked with thousands of people now, thousands of people. Do so you, I have a question. Do you think, um, because I feel like the tone that you're telling the story is almost like having to almost defend like the righteousness of what you're doing in a way that maybe people are thinking like, Oh, you're just a celebrity who uses your platform to make money because you struggle with this thing and it's not genuine and blah, 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 blah. And I know, and we know, cause we know you and I'm hearing this, that it's completely genuine. Um, but it feels like the way you're delivering it, it's almost like people need to understand that this is not some, manipulative thing that I'm just trying to make money off of. This is truly your passion. I, and <laughs> all these people we're talking about, I don't make a penny. Yeah. Don't make a penny off of it. And that's the thing that people don't understand is like, I, there's just so much misinformation, especially around like celebrities. It's gotta be, I have no way of relating, but it's gotta be exhausting to like almost, almost always be defending yourself because of who you are. Yeah, but I think I, I think and I, I don't want to toot my own horn, but I, I will say that I think I have a pretty good name in this industry. I mean, people know my morals, my values. I've yeah. never been a person that's taken advantage of people when they're sick under the influence. I mean, like I've always put one foot in front of the other. I've lo- put it this way. When I was dying, I relapsed really bad for a couple of years in 2000. What was it? 2015, 16, 17. Like I was on Adderall. I was doing all these things. I lost millions of dollars. I needed to go get help myself, go to treatment, like, but I'm still out there taking more Adderall so I can go help more people to, to try to do this. I was spending my own money, putting people into places, losing money in my businesses, trying to help people. Like I can say that till I'm blue in the face. I can look at everybody in the eye, whereas a lot of people were on the opposite end. There's, and there's people doing what I was doing, but I'm saying like I was dying where I can actually, I feel, I can say this and I feel very good about it is I've never taken advantage of somebody in a, that vulnerable spot. If anything, I only took advantage of myself, which yeah. is the most harmful. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, you've had a couple of years where, and I have as well, where we've made a good chunk of change. And we always think about it as like, oh, we really didn't, you know, because we're, we're surround ourselves with guys that are just making crazy money. So we always think like, oh, okay, yeah, we're doing okay, but we're actually doing really well for the rest of the world. So this year, 
is the first year where I and Blake and Kai, who's new on our team, like I, I can't say that we're literally saving people's lives. You know, I don't think that what we're doing is on the same scale as you, but we had a kid we met last week and we said, show up tomorrow or whenever day it was. And like, we'll give you a shot. Like we'll refer you some business, blah, blah, blah. And we're preaching this vulnerability thing. And like, we're, we're, I don't, I mean, you've been looking, I think at some of the videos we're posting and it's like showing Blake door knocking, you know, we're in real estate. That's, there's nothing more smoke and mirrors. There's nothing more fake. There's nothing more like, Oh, we're so successful, blah, blah, blah. than this business. And we're having these podcasts where we're talking about like realities of the business, realities of our friends' businesses. And like, we just want to do something to where all the guys coming up can be like, no, no, no. It's not like this. Like you've got to be vulnerable. You've got to work for free for a while. You've got to give back. You've got to find a mentor. You've got to watch these guys who like you're a big Gary Vee fan, Blake. Yeah. And Gary Vee is like, put yourself out there, put content out there. And you're always telling me like, dude, Cedric, you got to put better content out. You got to do more <laughs> content. I'm like, Fuck, I don't I look like an idiot. And you're like, nobody cares. Yeah. You know what I mean? And even if they do, who cares? Yeah. Yeah. Who cares? You lose 10%. You get 20 more of the way better people anyway. Yeah. So like we're battling with this in our industry. Like you keep telling my wife, I'm like, Oh yeah, I wish we had more money, blah, blah. blah. And I'm like, dude, we got a couple hundred thousand dollars in the bank. We own a brewery, blah, blah, blah. It's like, we're not poor, but I always think like we're poor. You know what I mean? I'm always like, Oh, we're struggling, blah, blah, blah. Like even to create this studio that you're in right now, I've had so much stress about this. Who cares? Right. And Blake's coming to my life this year and he's kind of changed a lot of my perspectives on that. And we're trying to build something that's not just, it doesn't matter if we're selling real estate. It doesn't matter if we're selling whatever beer. It doesn't matter if we're selling clothing. It doesn't matter if we're selling media. We're just trying to say, Hey, let's provide a value for you. Let's be vulnerable. Let's fail and let's document it so everyone can see it. So a lot of more people are willing to do things, man. Yeah. You have to show that. I mean, and I think you just nailed that though, is by putting out stuff that you're doing and connecting. I mean, you're a product of your environment. You don't need people that are not going to benefit you or what it is you're doing. You need to associate with like-minded people. And the more that you're doing and the people that can connect with that, you're going to have those organic people that relate to you. So that's, you're a product of your environment. You know, you're putting out what you want to put out and it's, it's associated with the work that you're doing. You're going to get people that are aligned with you. If you're not, you're going to get the other side. So yeah. what's next for you? So, I mean, the right now is the big things I'm doing is I love, so going back to the whole treatment thing is I, I am a co-chair for the Red Songbird Foundation, which is a, uh, an organization that basically provides education, insight, uh, uh, vetting of treatment facilities, and ultimately scholarships for those that are less fortunate. Our goal and our mission is to heal people from the darkness of their past. So we, we give away scholarships um, for people that need help. Um, we have a whole vetting process with that, and I'm, that's a big part of what I'm doing now. Uh, I've given away almost a million dollars this last year in scholarships, which has been uh, pretty rewarding. And to see those, you know, especially just the whole process, again, going back to people have nothing, they're really wanting to change their lives, and, and to know that you can be that, that, that bridge for them is is pretty incredible. So, I mean, that's something that I'm very, very, very involved in. Love it. My, the co-chair with me is Hillary Roberts, another phenomenal woman, biggest heart, 22 years of sobriety. Uh, you know, she, she's kind of like the female version of me, if you will. And, and just out there utilizing her platform. She's a top 10 billboard charting artist in the music industry. And, uh, you know, we're both out there just doing, doing the deal on that. And that's kind of like my major focal point because we really want to become, 
the most trusted resource for people to go to knowing that when they come to us that they're going to get adequate, you know, uh, a response and direction, uh, again, is, is, it's just a resource. We're not looking for anything for anybody. So that's, but that's a 501 C three. Um, and that will be growing and I'll be sharing a lot more about that as it comes. But then, you know, the, the Hills is coming back, uh, which will be uh, interesting to see how that, that all pans out. Um, you know, season one was, it was a very different process for me than it used to be in the past. I mean, not only physically, mentally and emotionally. I mean, I didn't even, I was kind of like meeting everybody for the first time. I didn't know anybody sober, you know? So it's like, I was like very kind of like, well, this is really overwhelming. Mm. Whereas before I was like red cup and let's go. Um, so that, and then more than red cup. Yeah. (laughs) Skiing too. Um, but so, you know, so this whole, you know, those projects doing as much as I can, I work with Nancy Davis, uh, another organization, which is phenomenal. I got to give her a shout out. She does a race to a race MS, which is, she was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, uh, 27 years ago and 28 years ago. And in the 27 years of starting a race to a race MS, uh, she's come out with 20 FDA uh, approved medications for MS. And the last one she came out with has been, tw- uh, has been effective on 90% of all people with multiple sclerosis. We are taking that same model that she created for that, uh, for addiction. It's called can cure addiction now. And it's basically the highest, uh, most influential doctors from Harvard, Yale, Oxford, Cedar Sinai, Mount Sinai, Washington university, basically a walls down, walls down mentality where they all come together instead of, you know, let's see what we're all working on. Let's not be right. doing, let's not be cross, let's cross pollinate. Yeah. Let's not do, put double the efforts of what we're doing. Let's all put this together and see if we can't figure out a, a, a cure for addiction. This is the only disease in America that's been on a steady incline with the amount of people abusing and getting sicker and sicker and on a steady decline with the amount of success rate. Which makes sense. Like you're seeing it and no one wants to talk about it. No, it's the leading cause of death in America for 50 year old individuals and younger. Wow. Do the math. It's the leading cause of death in America. That's unbelievable. So if people want to help, if people want to get involved, where do they go? Right now is because we're in the process of building everything out. Go to my website, jasonwaller.com. Red Songbird Foundation, our website will be up soon. We're in the process of building this whole thing out. Uh, but is if you go to my site, you can get the information. We, we can get get your email and we can connect with you. But then we'll be able to uh, connect you as soon as everything launches. I have one more question. Um, so you are going to shoot season two of The Hills. Do you battle with that platform and what you're doing? Is that or... I'm smart now. I utilize (laughs) that platform to be able to raise awareness to what it is I'm doing. And you want to talk about vulnerability, (laughs) being this guy that's in this recovery space and doing everything that I do. And you're very aware of the situation that happened over a year ago. I went on national television and said I had a relapse because you know how many people stay sick. And that's the reason why you maybe you asked 20 minutes ago when you said you had a relapse for three years, what was going on? I didn't get honest with myself because I thought it was going to jeopardize everything I've created, this brand that I've created, this, you know, this right. high integrity. When in reality, you know how much support I had when I said I relapsed and I needed help? It was the exact opposite of what I had portrayed uh, or in my thought, you know, in my, my thinking. So I took that opportunity, again, is not to draw attention to me. It's to let people know, like, because... <laughs> Again, this is a very cunning, baffling, and powerful disease. And, you know, I'm just so grateful to be sitting here is because is, is, there's a lot of people that don't have that opportunity, you yeah. know, that are go out and relapse and can't get honest with them and they're not here anymore. Yeah. So I think that's, that's where the vulnerability comes in for me is, is, look, you may think you're not being able to impact somebody, but you really are when you're able to just be open and honest. It's, it's crazy if you just take a second every day and you, can, you meet so many people, you meet much more than I do. 
But if you can just take a second and just say like, what can I do for you? And not want anything in return. It is so freaking empowering. It's that the high you get from that, it, it blows any substance. It blows any materialistic thing. It, it's, it, there's nothing like it in the world because for some reason, when you do that, it comes around. I'll tell you right now that <clears throat> that's funny you say that. Cause my modality every day is do something nice for somebody and don't get caught. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I love that. So I, so on your Instagram every day you have a prayer of the day, mm-hmm. right? Like I've noticed that every morning where, how'd that start? What is that? Well, a lot of people have like daily affirmations, daily reflections, you know, they have Jesus calling book, they have all these things. So it's basically, I, I do multiple different readings out of different things in the morning to start my day off. Right. And you know how I start my day every day is I do a morning meditation. I do a morning prayer. I do a gratitude list of three things I'm grateful for. And not only what I'm grateful for, but why, because that's where the meat is. Uh, and then after that, I go to the, go to the gym or I go to my morning meeting. Uh, and that's how I start my morning off every single day because uh, I had enough time to drink and use every day. So I have enough time to put forth towards my health and well-being. Um, but I do the prayer and, and, and action for the day is because for me, it's been very, 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 that simple thing. It takes me 15, 20 minutes to do it every morning. You know, that whole process takes me about an hour. Um, but when you do that and you instill that, you're starting yourself on the right track in the morning. And it's hopefully it's my goal from doing it is to give people positive hope, give them, you know, affirmation that they're, they're, you know, if you're going through a hard time, it's here's hopefully something to make you pause and, and, and take a second. And then the action is, that's where it all comes in is action speak louder in words. We've all heard that for, for years is actually putting forth the work and doing that. If you want to see systemic change and, and longevity and change, you got to do the work. So if someone's out there and they're battling and they think, Hey, I don't have a problem. I might have a problem. What do they do? Do talk to people, get educated, you know, uh, reach out to you to reach out to other people that are going through it. I mean, that's the biggest thing is, is if, if you think you have a problem and you're not sure if you have a problem, you probably have a problem. I yeah. mean, a normal person that goes through it, like you're not just, you're not thinking or justifying, you know, if you, if you have a problem, like something I always tell people too, is, is in, we, this may be relevant to this or not, but I mean, people need to understand there's with substance. There's no such thing as recreational use of heroin. There's no such thing as recreational <laughs> use of meth. There's no such thing as recreational use of drinking a bottle of vodka a day. Like the way I look at it is if you are struggling and you think you're struggling is the way I break down addiction for me personally is, is if, 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 if anything, whether it's sex, drugs, alcohol, work, working out, if you, it could be healthy things in your eyes. If it's derailing you and taking you out of balance and boundaries and uh, taking you out of balance in your life, it's something to look at. I don't care what it is. If it's derailing you from the most important things in your life, you need to identify and look at that. Well, what's so interesting. That makes sense. It makes a lot 100%. of sense. And what I alluded to before is like, especially from a relatability standpoint, if, if you're not an addict, it doesn't, it's not different. It like, I'm listening to this and he's talking about his morning routine. It's like, I literally today, my, my wife went with me to the gym for the second time in a mm-hmm. row, which is enormous. Like people are like, Oh, what's the big deal? We have an eight and a half month old baby. She got up at 6.15 this morning after being out with her girlfriends, watching The Bachelor last night, got home late, got up, probably exhausted, and walked with our stroller and the baby. We live close to the gym, walked to the gym. I had worked out at the 6 a.m. We swapped the baby. The second day in a row that she's done this, and it's enormous. Like for our marriage, for me, it's for her, it's just such a healthy, like incredible thing that I'm... I think I'm probably being a little bit dramatic, but it's like, I genuinely feel this way and I'm super passionate about implementing healthy habits in your life. And especially in your morning routine, it's no different whether you struggle with addiction or not. You, I really believe that like optimally, like living optimally, why wouldn't you want to do that? Like why, why does it, 
why does it take having to be addicted to a substance to start thinking about, okay, how can I improve my life? You know, should I meditate? Oh, well, I'm not an addict, so I shouldn't meditate. No, no, no. Like, it has nothing to do with being an addict. Like, meditation. Well, that's, what, what, like, what you bring up a really important point is whether you're an addict or an alcoholic, that, that's everybody. I don't care who you are. Every single person in this room struggles with something. 100%. Right? You're full of it if you don't. 100%. And I think that's, again, it's, it goes to different extremes for other individuals. Yeah. Like I said, I mean, it's it's with whether it's addiction or whether it's stress about finances or not good. I mean, everybody goes through whatever it may be, and it's identifying that. We are... We as humans naturally want to feel better. We want to have more. I mean, there's just all this instant gratification. We're, we're around it every single day. So I think it's, it's also identifying that and understanding that we all need to, we all have room for improvement. My goal is I have a pie graph of the eight most important things in my life, whether it's family, health, wealth, you know, spiritual connection, time with, uh, you know, friends, whatever it is. I you create this pie graph. And what I've done is, you is say my name on there. Am I in one of those? <laughs> but, it's, it, but I filled it out and it's a one through 10. You fill it out like you're filling it through. And I noticed some things I was an eight in, some things I was a two in. These are the most important things. You're never going to be a 10 out of 10. You're no. full of it if you, if you think you are. My goal is by the time I die is to be an eight around that whole zone of what's the most important things in my life. And, and it's gotten a lot better, but that's a good way to help you identify where, you know, how much time you need to be allocating. Cause I think everything comes down to balance. The more balanced you can be, the more time you spend with quality people and, you know, it's, it's, it's important. Yeah. Hey, I could do this with you for 10 hours straight, but I know you got to go save life. So yeah, hey, I appreciate you coming. I love, love you guys. Brother. Um, everything you, I cannot wait to get this all buttoned up and get it out there for people. Cause I think, uh, you know, we're doing this once or twice a week now. And the stuff you just said is just like, I don't care who you are. It's, it applies. Yeah. It really does. And I think if they understand your story and where you came from and some of the stuff we talked about, it can really make a difference in people's lives. Yeah. And we even talk about it with like our, our story and the people we share it with is kind of like the tagline of the podcast. Cause even though we're talking about your life, your story, the only reason you're here is cause we're all very aligned in a, in a lot of ways. And that's how a lot of our guests has been, have been. It's like they share a lot of what we're trying to do and the intention that we're trying to do it with. And that is, I think hopefully with the viewers and listeners are like, Oh, I get what they're trying to do. They're trying to talk about other people and what they're doing and how that shares the story that they're trying to tell and the way they're doing it, especially when it relates to our business and then all of our other friends and family members that are doing cool stuff too. So yeah, I think 100%. everyone, everyone should go and just learn more about and be educated about what Jason's doing and how he's helping people that need help. And I think all of us should try to help people that need help. So, yeah. And everyone knows someone and uh, that has a, that battles with addiction. Yeah. And we really appreciate like, honestly, like we're not a high budget thing. So it's really cool that you take the time to to come over here. Of course, man, this is great. And I'm stoked to be here. So I appreciate it. All right, guys, thanks so much for tuning in to another installment of CGTV. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe and leave us a review on the Apple Podcast app. Until next time, make sure and follow us on Instagram at CGRE underscore OC for all things CGRE.